pray together. Lord, thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you sent your Son to bear the wrath that we so rightfully deserved. Thank you for sending the Spirit to indwell us and to make us the children of God. Lord, so that we might live according to your righteousness, that we no longer walk according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, we pray, open our hearts as we come before your word, how we long to hear from the King of kings and Lord of lords, but we know that our, our mind it wanders, our heart is fickle. So, Lord, just capture our souls with your grace, Lord, with your loveliness, God. We just long to hear of you, hear from you, learn about you, and adore you even more. So we pray, be with us. And be with Pastor Bob, Lord, give him strength today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Be sharing with you from Romans chapter 10 this morning. We started in the 10th chapter last week, uh, went through verses 1 through 3 basically, and didn't get to the 4th verse, uh, as, and it was planned that way actually. And so uh, I'd like to pick up with that this morning, but reading uh, 10, 1 through 4 all together as we begin. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge, not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And the they that uh, Paul is referring to, he labels in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, he's talking about the, the Jewish nation. And as a whole, the fact that they have rejected Christ. And again, recall uh, as we started going through chapter 9 and, and into 10 and 11 as well, the concern was that some people might think God is, is not able to keep the, the promises, so to speak, uh, that you know, He made to all of Israel because, you know, gosh, they're, they're not following after Christ. They're, the blessings are not following their way. And uh, Paul says, no, wait a minute, that's not the way it is. Uh, they have chosen to, to not follow after Christ. And, you know, there's still a moving of God going on. And Paul made it clear it was going on in, in the Hebrew nation as well as the, the Gentiles. There were Jews being saved. Paul as a primary example. But that there is a season and a time, we'll get to that as we go through uh, chapter 11 especially, where God is going to, to bless the nation of Israel in a particular way and rise them, raise them up again. But for the moment... That's a, 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 Paul is making sure that we understand God is more than capable of keeping His promises. Because He has made all of these promises in chapter 8 to us. Starting off with what we read this morning, there is no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus. It goes on later on to talk about that we're joint heirs with Jesus. That we're going to share in His inheritance. All of these things are promised to us and Paul wants us to understand that God is able to keep those promises. It's the proof of that, by the way, is the death, burial, and resurrection, specifically the bodily resurrection of Christ. God can keep His promises. He has the power to do it. And so we're going to move ahead here in verse 10, or chapter 10, 
quick review in verse 3, you notice it says, Israel did not submit to God's righteousness. And it's interesting though, it says in verse 2 that they had a zeal. A zeal for God and an and anxiousness and excitement uh, in a sense for God. They, were, they, they wanted to please Him. But they were doing it, it says, without knowledge. Without knowledge of, of God's righteousness and how to achieve it. In other words, they were bypassing Jesus Christ and trying to achieve their, their ability to please God on their own strength. And as we've read this morning and we've sang this morning, that's not possible. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need a Savior. And the Hebrew nation as a whole was rejecting Christ. And so Paul's prayer for them is that they would be saved. In fact, in chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3, along in there, he says he would give his own salvation up if he thought it would do the job and bring them to Christ, that they would be saved. Talk about a love from God and, a, and, a, and, a, and a God's heart and eyes and mind and heart to, to, to extend to someone. Paul's saying, I would, I would accept damnation if that would do the trick. But of course, he knows that's not. Somebody has already done it. Jesus Christ. And so, they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, it says in, in verse 3. Seeking to establish their own righteousness. And uh, again, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Uh, I'm going to kind of bring another picture in here for the moment. John chapter 118 speaks very clearly about Jesus being the revelation of, of, of God brought to, you know, into the, the world. Uh, the only one who is uh, God and the only one that is the Son, He's the only one that has ever seen God he is the only God, the only one who is God, the only Son. He has made Him known. Okay, what it means that He has made Him known is, is that all through, and I believe this goes into the Old Testament as well, all through history, Jesus Christ has been the physical representation of God the Father. Jesus very clearly describes in John uh, that the Father is spirit, not flesh and bone, but spirit. But he's revealed in the physical context as Christ. We call them epiphanies in the Old Testament. And over and over and over again, the burning bush, for instance, speaks as God. And then it says, he calls himself the angel of the Lord. By the way, when it says the angel of the Lord, it's referring to Christ in the Old Testament. And so, Jesus is the, the physical representation of God. Now he comes literally in the flesh, in human flesh, to reveal not only the love of God, to reveal the holiness of God, His righteousness and in His heart, His mind, but also to become what is necessary, the sacrifice that is necessary for us. And the Jewish people rejected. Over and over again, uh, we see in the, in the Gospels, the religious leaders, they failed to recognize Christ as the Son of God. Thus, ignorant of the righteousness of God. Think of it this way. You know, Jesus said very clearly, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here in, in, in John, we see very clearly that He is the, the one who has revealed the Father to the world. Okay? So, if Jesus, you know, if we're seeking God's righteousness, we would come through Christ and His righteousness. And, and so, uh, the Hebrew people, 
are ignoring this. They are not paying any attention to this. They, they have refused Jesus Christ. Now, there is an interesting thought though. To their credit, they knew there was, a, there was no way to stand before God without keeping the law. They knew that. They knew they needed to, to wanted to stand before God and, and to, to be in a relationship with Him, but there was no way they could do that unless they were obeying the law. The thing was that happened was that they thought they were physically able to do this. That they could keep the law in their own strength. The problem of standing before God, by the way, is the central theme of, of, of Scripture. Uh, it was uh, certainly then and it is now. The reason for the Gospel is, is you know, is to reveal to us through Christ the core of our, uh, of, of our need for a Savior. The teaching and preaching that we should be doing should be pointing everybody has to stand before God judged in the terms of the law. That's true today. Even today, God's still assessing us by the law of the Old Testament. I'll explain that in better detail in a minute. So, everybody has to stand before God, judged in the terms of the law, and yet we have a verse that tells us something very frightening. If you just looked at that alone and, and, and then come up with this verse out of James chapter 2. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. That's a pretty scary statement. Come before God. He's, we're, we're, we have to keep the law. And, and, and yet he says if we miss one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. And Paul confirms you know, the, the thought that goes with this in, back in, in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're in a helpless, hopeless situation. We want to come to God. The Hebrew men and women, they wanted to come to God. They, they wanted to please Him. I, I want to make sure you give them that credit. But what they were doing was ignoring the way He had opened the door. Therefore, Paul was saying they're doing it without knowledge. They're doing it in ignorance. But there's no excuse because Christ has, had been revealed to them. And so, here we stand, all sinners, all falling short of the glory of God, needing desperately the Savior, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. The picture that Paul creates for us then here in the fourth verse of Romans 10 is, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the thing we need is to be right. Before God, righteousness. And we can't, we don't have it. Sin is in the way. And it will always be in the way as long as we're on our own. 
So I want to take a closer look at this verse, Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law. Let me explain that because there's kind of a question mark. What do you mean the end of the law? Uh, some think that means the law is finished, done with. It was an Old Testament thing, and, and, and uh, in the New Testament, we, you know, everything falls under grace, and, and God's going to forgive everybody, and, and that's not what Scripture says. Jesus over and over repeats various things that will tell you, uh, you know, he says, many are called, few are chosen. He'll talk, they'll say, that, he says, they'll come to me, and they'll say, we did all this in your name, and he's going to say, I do not know you. In other words, you, you know, trying to do it on your own doesn't work. You have to come through Christ. Christ is the end of the law uh, and, and in the sense of, of something completely different here. Jesus said very, very clearly in, in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount uh, in reference to the law. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, all the Old Testament stands I haven't come to abolish these things. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth has passed, not an iota, not a dot. We say cross the T's and dot the I's. Basically the same idea here. Will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes uh, one, of these, uh, one of the least of these commandments... Uh, and, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How can your righteousness possibly exceed the Pharisees and the scribes? The people hearing that were having to think about that and wrestle with that because everybody saw them as the holy ones. And believe me, they made sure you, you knew they were. When they gave alms, they made a, a proud and loud you know, proclamation about it. Uh, they, they let everybody know, we are not the sinners, we are the righteous ones. Everybody else, especially from the Pharisees' point of view. When Jesus was accused of hanging around with the, with the sinners of, uh, of the world, you know, the sinners in, in, in all, He was, according to the Pharisees, because He wasn't hanging with the Pharisees. They saw themselves as the, as the most righteous. And if Jesus is really a man of God, he wouldn't have hung around with those people that are less than that. And so this, this attitude of self-righteousness was there. They were ignorant of, of the things that Christ had come to offer. They were, they were working without knowledge as to, to this and as a result rejecting him. He did not come to, to, to abolish it, but, but to fulfill the law. And the law is eternal in its nature in the sense that it has a definite picture to be accomplished through to the end of time. And even after the end of time, there's some scriptures that say, how long does the Word itself stand? The Word of God. How long does it stand? Forever. And so what I want to make sure you understand is, is that the law reveals to us even today the righteous holiness standards of God. And when we look at it and we realize that, we've, that, that we fall short of that, we recognize our sins. In fact, Jesus took the law even further in, in the Sermon on the Mount than the legalistic standpoint. I can tell you with all honesty, I have never committed adultery until I read the Sermon on the Mount. 
And then I realize that there are times in my life where I have thought impure thoughts and lusted. It's not something I'm proud of, but it has happened. Chances are it's happened to a lot of you. Notice how kind I was with that. And so Jesus makes it clear that the law stands. In fact, it's not just the letter of the law, it's the content, the spirit of the law. We are called to keep the law. And we are still judged by it. It reveals the holiness of God. It is His righteousness that is revealed in it. And we are told to be holy as He is holy. Where do we get the standards? From His law. By the way, being under grace does not lower the standard. I want you to make sure you understand that as well. Well, I'm under grace. Everything's covered. I don't have to worry about it. Hunky-dory on the way to glory. Uh, thank you to... to uh, Pastor Briscoe for that one, but uh, you know, hunky dory on the way to glory was his phrase always in the reference to, to this carefree, you know, uh, walk with Christ. It's not that, it's, it's the reality of who we are in Christ. Yes, we are on our way to glory. Yes, his grace has covered us. Yes, it's going to be something that he completes in us, but it's not something that we take for granted and just casually receive and, and live in. It's something that as we rest in it, the more we rest in it, the more we grow in it, the more we grow in it, the more we desire to be holy because our desire really does become to please God on His terms. And it begins with coming through Christ. It's the only way we can come to Him on His terms. It says Christ is the end of the law basically here and I believe that that means is He is the end of it because He has fulfilled it. He has kept it without sin. Uh, he did in the flesh what man could not do. He was God-man. Incarnate. God incarnate. God-man. What we were called to do, He did. He was holy as the Father is holy. He did it perfectly in every way. But, it, you know, it's an amazing picture. Keeping it in itself wasn't even enough. Him being a perfect law keeper still could not accomplish what was needed for our salvation. He went to the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, to bear our sins in His body on the tree. Paul says to the Corinthians, to become sin for us. Why has He done that? So that we might die to sin through Him and live in His righteousness covering us. Christ carried out, completed, fulfilled, finished. The words, it is finished from the cross, what was necessary for our salvation. The punishment, the condemnation was taken care of. Taken off of us and put on Him. We can't ever forget that part of this picture. Because if we do, the Gospel is very weak without it. 
what have we been spared from? If Christ is the end of the law to us and our righteousness rests in Him, what have we been spared from? We've been spared from eternity in separation from God. Revelation has a rather graphic term for it, the lake of fire. What was necessary for our salvation has been taken care of. The law says I must be righteous according to the law, and if not, I am damned, I am lost. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, therefore we are all damned, we are all lost. Christ takes my place on the cross, receives my punishment instead of me, His blood and His righteousness and His grace covers me, and I enter into eternal life in the presence of God holy through Christ who kept all the law perfectly. It's quite a picture. And not only is He the end of the law, the fulfillment, the complete of it, but Christ alone, Christ alone is the end of the law. And what I mean by that is, is well, let's, let's go backwards to, to Romans uh, chapter uh, 3. I've been quoting out of it quite a bit, so let's just go back to it. Uh, Romans chapter 3, um, well, starting with the 19th verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law was a teacher of God's holiness and the fact that we couldn't keep it and needed a Savior. That was what it was there for. And for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness, but now there's an answer to this. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, and although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, in other words, they prophesied it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That means a satisfaction of judgment by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what he's basically saying here is that there had to be justice served. The penalty had to be paid. And it was paid in full through Jesus Christ. Christ alone, He is the end of the law to everyone that believes. There is no other. As a result of that, when we get to Acts in, you know, in chapter 4, it says all the only name that you can be saved by is Jesus Christ. There is no other avenue. There is no, I, I, did, I, was, I was a good Buddhist or a good any other faith. It requires the blood of Christ, your faith in Jesus and in that relationship. No other way. No one else. And again, it's for those who 
believed. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 6, we're not under the law, but under grace. Meaning we're not under the condemnation of the law any longer, but we're under grace. But it's only those who believe that are under that grace. That becomes a narrow, very narrow group of people globally. This is one of the things that makes Christians look, you know, very, you know, to, to a, an unsaved world. They look at us as very exclusive people. We, 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 meaning that we exclude people from the, the church. And the answer is no, we do not exclude anyone from the church. We do not exclude anyone from the body of Christ. They exclude themselves. John chapter 3 makes it very clear that people are guilty based on their own failure to receive Christ. And that separates them. Christ is the end of the law. He alone is the end of the law. And it is for those who believe and nobody else. We don't say that the law is done away with, but we are under grace, no longer subject to its punishment or its condemnation. We've been reconciled to God in Christ, adopted into His family, and we've become joint heirs with Christ through His sacrifice. I was reading out of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in, in a reference to this, this verse. And he, he said, can Satan say, the law demands justice to all who sin? Can Satan say that? Absolutely. As the accuser, he can say that. So, this is the way he put it. Can Satan say, the law demands justice to all sin? He used his own name, but I'll use my name. Bob, you are a sinner. Bob, you must die. Up to that point, Satan's right on top of it. But my reply now, you know, before I became a Christian, my reply would have been, well, I've been as good as anybody else. By the way, that's a true statement. Because we all miss good. <laughs> you know, only Father is good. So I, I, when I come along and say I've been as good as anybody else, I'm admitting right off the bat that I am a sinner. But before Christ was in my life, before I got it, opened my eyes to it all and brought me into it, the, the picture that I had was, well, I'm okay, you're okay. And if there is a heaven, I'm sure I stand as much a chance as anybody else. And that was what I believed. So Satan could literally say, the law demands justice to all who sin. Bob, you are a sinner. Bob, you must die. But in Christ, I've got to reply to Him. For me, Christ is the end of the law. Because I believe in Him. He is my Savior. I have His righteousness. We can say, get behind me, Satan. Ever have those situations where you've got the the little, I call them the angels on our, the angel on one side and the devil on the other side kind of picture. You know, do this, you know, I know I shouldn't, you know. 
we can say, get behind me, Satan. Because Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. We haven't mastered this. Paul makes that very clear. You know, he says, not that I have achieved this, but I am working towards it. I'd like to go to communion this morning with the idea that in our hearts and our minds that Christ is our all in all. He has paid it completely. And the end result of that is we will never know the penalty of our sins because Christ has done it for us. We're going to never know the horror. We can catch a glimpse of it because of, of who we are and what we've done and the hurt that we've caused and pain that we've caused and different things because of our sin. But we're never going to know the full penalty because Christ has done it for us. What an awesome God we have. What a loving God we have. And all of this was the symphony He wrote, the plan He made before the foundation of the world so that His Son would have a bride drawn into Him. He pulled us out of a sinful world and is cleansing us through Christ to become the bride for eternity. I can't... You know, that, that study we did on heaven uh, last uh, spring, what a powerful study. But we have to look forward to. You know, what a great hope He has given us. And in communion, we share that. His death, His burial, and we celebrate His resurrection because He's asked us, as we share in these elements every Sunday, He says, to do it until when? Until He comes again. Ask the ushers to come, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share together.